Psalm 35 is where we are this morning. We're going to be finishing up Psalms probably in the next few weeks, and then um, may do a little something before we jump into our next series, which will be First John. But we got two weeks. I, I did. A, I, I kind of was writing out the sermon for this week, and I'm like, "There's just too much stuff. There's just too much stuff. If I do this, I'm going to preach for four hours." Wasn't probably that long, but it was going to be a long time. So. There's so many things that I think God is actually speaking to me from this particular psalm that we're going to break it up into two weeks. So we're going to read part of it this week, um, and as usual, I'm going to invite you to stand. And the reason we do this is there's something unique about the words we're about to read as opposed to every other words that we speak and listen to. We consider this to be God's word to us. So this is God's word from Psalm 35. It's the Psalm of David. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery and the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it. And let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his destruction. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and the needy from him who robs him. Lord, you continue uh, as you've inspired your servant to write this psalm so long ago. This, this continues and it unfolds and explains and shows the depth of, the depth of woe, the depth of grief, the depth of, of hurt that he was experiencing. And Lord, as we consider our own lives, we want to hear how this speaks into our life. And even this incredible song that we just sang, Prone to Wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That is, maybe some of us are in here and we're not even sure that you exist. Some of us, some of us do believe that, but we also know we're so quick to, to wander away. Lord, we need for your love to chase us down. Let your goodness bind our hearts to yours. Show us that goodness. Move in us. Teach us. Guide us, direct us, and give us your rest, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So, didn't read the whole psalm. I would encourage you, if you have some time this week, it's not long, just read through it this week. Think about it. Like, what is standing out to you as we talk about it today and we'll finish up next week? Here's a, here's a question to ponder for now, but also as, we, as maybe you think about it throughout the week, talk about it. With one another. How do we face or prepare to face those we disagree with? The people that you disagree with, how do you, how do you face it or how do you prepare to face it? Those who we think are against us, 
or actually are against us, or those who may have power over us and use it for our harm, maybe intentionally or unintentionally, or who may actually be enemies, or at least you think they are enemies, or they think you're an enemy, who we think are promoting harm and unhealth in the world. How do we face that? How do we, how do we address that? How do we prepare for that? This Psalm isn't gonna say everything about how to deal with enemies, whether they're real or perceived, but it says a lot, and it's an important part of what I think we need to hear, especially in our day and age right now. Uh, and that's probably not true. It's probably especially all times, but it just seems like right now the heat is rising and the water is boiling for a lot of us within our culture, within our world. Um, are those who claim to follow Jesus and maybe that's you, maybe it's, it's not. We're really glad that you're here if you're, you're not a follower of Jesus. If you, if you are a follower of Jesus, are we offering anything different to the conversation? Are we contributing more, really? Are we actually contributing more to the, to the problem? Are we pouring poison into the conversations and just adding at the end, in Jesus' name? Or... You know, I'm just following the Bible. <laughs> I'm just saying hard things. Like, how, how are we contributing to the conversation? We can, we can speak facts or partial facts with slightly veiled or maybe not veiled at all condescension and call it speaking the truth in love. And we can voice our preferences and our opinions and claim that they are God's clear direction as if it's thus saith the Lord. We can do that. I know because I have done this. I think these are important questions for us to wrestle with as we move forward into the unknown future. We don't know what lies ahead, right? How are we preparing ourselves for whatever that might be? Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, whether you're a part of this particular church community or not, maybe you're part of another church, the story of the Bible that leads to Jesus and the life and community that Jesus invites us into has much to contribute to how we live with others and how we engage our culture. And if we believe that this, this gospel is the power that transforms things, which is kind of our, that's our vision statement. We'll talk more of that as weeks go on. We actually believe that the gospel is the thing that transforms everything. How is it transforming our thought? How is it transforming our approach to those who we oppose or believe oppose us? Super important question. So, are you with me? You okay with this? All right. The psalmist knew hurt. He knew a real oppression. He knew power being used against him. Um, to bring harm to him. And yet, even as he walks us through this psalm, he seems to be growing in health. It doesn't seem like he is being dehumanized. It, sounds, it looks like he's actually growing in health. And through David's difficulties and reflection, God helps us in this psalm see how we are to face these kinds of pains, relational hardships, in a healthy way, in a way that actually grows health. So when you're going through harm and hardship, what does it do to you? All right, here's what we learn. We grow healthy through hurt. This is our big idea. If we find protection in the Lord, 
So we're going to grow healthy in hurt. You're going to go through hurt, okay? That's just a given. You're going to grow healthy through hurt if we can find our protection in the Lord. This is what David proposes for us. So how does that happen? We'll look at four areas, two today and, and two next week. Discern the hurt, run honestly to the Lord, and then next week, leave something and embrace something. So for this first part, discerning the hurt. David literally has people hating him. Like he, so this is the king, king David, the one who was king of Israel, and uh, he knew what it was like to have people wanting his head, literally wanting him dead. These were people whom he believed had real power over him during seasons of his life. If he could have defeated them, he probably would not have been writing the psalm. So it's not like he's saying, oh, I'm just being so soft and compassionate. No, he really thinks somebody, he really thinks because people really are after him. If, if he could have defeated them, he probably would not have been writing the psalm. He was forced into writing it because of his conditions. He saw himself as, and he's speaking on behalf of what he calls the poor and the needy. Verse 10, he says, all my bones shall say, O Lord, who's like you. Deliver, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him. The poor and the needy from him who robs him. He's talking about him, himself being the one who is too weak. He's talking about himself as the needy and the poor. He's speaking on behalf of real people, including himself. They, they are not, they're not strong enough. They're needy. They've, they've been violated. We're probably, uh, I think all, fall into this category in some way, shape, or form, right? If you, if you don't realize your sense of kind of need or poverty, then the biblical story in Jesus is not going to be very attractive to you. It's not going to really have much to offer you. So I think, I think at one level, we're all going to have to like realize this is, this is a reality for us. With that, though, I think it's going to help for us to do a couple of things here, which is discerning, discerning the places and degrees of harm, but then also discerning the sources of harm. So with this, with this idea of the discerning the degrees and the places, there are those who, um, they may not like you. They may even want bad for you or for me, but there is a difference between those who feel this way, which is real and it's, and it's painful and it's good to acknowledge. It's, there is a difference between that and those who actually have power and a desire to bring you harm, to oppress you and to kill you. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't, we're not dismissing what we feel at all. We're gonna get into that more. But it is good to make a distinction between our feeling of this and those that are actually under the gun. Here, here is where, for me personally, this is one of the challenges for me this week, I need discernment. Sometimes I get upset, not because the powerful are necessarily coming against me, but because I fear people are coming against me to take the power away that I have. There's a bit of a difference there, for me personally. Um, that may be like, that may be real issues that I, that I feel this, that we need to bring to God. Let's just discern the difference between that and what's being described in the psalm, between enemies that may be under you. This is kind of how I've been processing it. Enemies that may be under you, meaning I can actually dismiss them. They hurt me, but they, I can dismiss them. I can disarm them. I could probably even destroy them if I wanted to, right? Between those, those that are on level playing field, okay, that's a little bit different, right? Now I'm, now I'm face to face with that person versus those who are above me where I am or you may be the underdog 
in a place of being the poor and the powerless. There's a, there's a difference. I think it's helpful to make some discernment here. There are real situations and varying degrees of what you might call hurt or oppression that David describes. Part of discernment is, let's listen to each other. Let's, let's listen to what's happening. What others are saying, even those that we think are our enemies, especially those who may have historically been harmed or oppressed, and maybe they haven't had a voice. Do we have ears to hear? And I'm, I'm telling myself this because I can be way too quick to dismiss some people's concerns and stories. Um, think of those in our own community or around the world who are refugees. They have lost home and family. Uh, for those who have been deeply mistreated. Maybe you actually fall into one of those categories. Like if you're, you're here or you're listening to it or watching, maybe you actually fall into one of those categories. Let's be careful in our evaluation and humble in our evalu evaluation. Because um, I don't know what it's like. I don't know what it's like to be a refugee. And even to back up a little bit, I, I, don't, I don't know what it's like. Surprise, I don't know what it's like to be a woman. <laughs> I don't know what it's like to have culture objectify me or feel pressures that bring fear maybe in my life. I had some conversation, I can't remember if it was one of my daughters or somebody else, and they were saying, do you know what it's like to walk down the street and actually be afraid? Like when it's maybe getting a little dark. And I'm like, no clue. Don't know that. I mean, I have been in some sketchy places before, so probably I do have a little bit of a clue. But just normal. And whoever was talking about it, it's like, but that's a real fear for some, okay? Let's listen. I don't know what it's like to be a law enforcement officer trying to do good, but being lumped in with the bad. I don't know what that's like. I haven't walked in your shoes. I don't know what it's like to be a minority culture, to have a different colored skin. I don't know what it's like to be an immigrant or to, to fear for my life on some kind of a regular basis. I don't know what it's like. So, so evaluating, like discerning the degrees and the places of where harm is, where pain is, or potential harm that we or others may face, I think helps us understand ourselves. Maybe it helps us understand our position in the world and in culture and in life, and helps us understand each other and hopefully move us forward in health, like humbly, with eyes and ears open in the world around us. And with this, um, I want to consider the source of harm. And uh, there's, there, okay, there's a lot that we could address here that probably we could get in debates about and probably fight about regarding the sources of harm and oppression. But I, I want to bring a couple of areas that, uh, that that I've been challenged in, that we may not immediately consider from the text, but I think the text provokes. And it's this, sources of harm being self and the unseen. So self, although it, although it doesn't really come out in this particular psalm, these kinds of passages sometimes lead me to question, where might I be the person that David's talking about? Where, where might I actually be the harm doer? 
David knew firsthand what it was like to be powerless and chased and hated. He seemed to empathize with those who were poor and needy, other people that had experienced the same kind of thing. And yet, when he did gain power, how did he handle it? Like, okay, if you know anything about the story of King David, like, he did some really good things. But there are also times once he gained power that he was tempted to use his power to oppress. I, was, I happened to be in, like, 1 Samuel right now, and I was reading about David with Nabal and um, what becomes his wife, Abigail, right? Abigail or Hannah? It's one of my daughter's names. <laughs> um, Abigail, it's Abigail, right? And he's tempted to go and crush this dude, and he has the power to do so. And fortunately, Abigail, the wise one in that story, comes and stops him. He has the power. But then we also have stories of when he really gains power, what does he do? I mean, we know the story of Bathsheba, right? He has the power. How does he use it? He uses it to bring harm. When we feel the anger and the hurt, I think we have to constantly step back and evaluate, discern, um, where might I want to be using my power to hurt, to, to, to bring pain? Or where might I be using my power for my own protection, okay? This is where it gets super tricky. For, for protection of my life, my reputation, and possessions. That's a tough question. Is it wrong to protect yourself? I, like, generally, no. I think that's probably a good thing. Is it ever wrong to protect yourself? Yeah, I think so. I mean, case in point, the whole David and Bathsheba thing. He ends up going and having the, the, the husband killed. Why? Because David's just protecting himself. He's just protecting his reputation. He's just protecting um, Bathsheba's reputation. He's, he's protecting the kingdom. Like, we step back and you're like, that is so freaking twisted. How could you do such a thing? Yeah, do you think he thought it was twisted in the moment? Where might I be trying to protect myself and I'm so in the moment that I can't see how twisted it is? Where might those be situations? Sometimes it's, sometimes it's hard to see when we have become the enemy that we hate. <laughs> so let's discern. How do we do that? Okay, here's one piece, and we're going to keep talking about this. We need community, right? We need other, I need others who care enough about me, who care enough about us, to give, to give space to help us discern and can speak truth and love into our lives when they see what we are unable to see. So questions, man, they, there's so many questions to consider. Like, where am I the oppressor? Where am I the harm doer? Where might others feel toward me the way David felt towards his enemies? Where might that be the case to some degree? Where might I need to repent? And may, may, where do I may, maybe need to give away power or restructure or simply think about people differently? Okay, are y'all with, have I lost you? Are we okay? All right, there's another piece of this, and it's, uh, you know, we're considering the sources. The self is one, then there's this thing of the unseen. Um, I, wanna, I wanna flag this. It's not, it's not obvious here, but in some, some way argued that it's everywhere here in the, in the text, and I'll, I'll lead with this. This is meant to be um, not a scare tactic, okay? It, it's, it's an insight about the world of pain and hurt and what we call evil. 
And even if you don't feel like you have an enemy, which I'm really glad, it's a wonderful place to be where you don't feel like you have an enemy. But just because you don't feel like you don't have an enemy doesn't mean you don't. Um, Now, I know I can sound like a paranoid conspiracy theorist, and for those of you who are paranoid conspiracy theorists, please don't run with this, okay? Let's hear what Scripture actually has to say. And this is going to, maybe this is going to be a little weird, but life is a little weird. Part of the biblical story opens us to an unseen realm. There are forces and enemies that certainly work through humans, but they are beyond human. There's, there's evil, there's, there's a darkness that's contrary to God's goodness that has willful intelligence and wants to destroy and to oppress and to keep creation from God's good life and freedom. So I don't know how much David is thinking about this, but it's, it's spattered and explained throughout the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament. And then Jesus and the apostles, especially, especially Paul, give kind of greater explanation. So I'm, I'm just gonna touch on it and we're gonna kind of move on. Paul says it this way. This is in one of his letters to the, it's called the book of Ephesians in chapter six. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers and against authorities, against powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I think this is far more complicated than just demons behind every door, okay? This is far more complicated, far more sinister than what I think sometimes popular culture and even the evangelical church promotes at times. This is not something we need to like delve into because the passage isn't doing it, but it's important to keep in mind. There is a greater darkness, a greater harm going on than meets the eye. And I think that's really important for us to understand because it will affect how we go into battle. There is a greater evil than what you think you see in your wacko conservative or your wacko liberal or your middle of the road political enemy. There is something a lot deeper. The enemy that you face face to face or that you face on Facebook. There's something bigger. I, I, I don't think the greater harm doer, this, this dark force, this dark reality, I don't, I don't think it cares if you are on the right or the left or the middle. I don't think it cares if you get a vaccine or don't get a vaccine. I don't think it cares if we wear a mask or not. And I'm not, I'm not saying that those things don't matter because they really do matter. Those things are important conversation. I'm just, I just think the unseen enemy doesn't care because what, is, what does it care about? It cares that we hate each other and we demean each other and we mis- misrepresent each other, that we won't listen to each other, that we dismiss each other and that we feel superior to each other. So to grow healthy even when we see or are being harmed, this involves this discernment. It's, it's discerning the degrees and the places of our hurt. It's also discerning the sources of hurt, which includes me and this unseen thing. David doesn't just talk about like building his army to fight for his life or his cause. 
like in this psalm, as we move on to this next point, he's, does he build an army? Heck yeah, he, builds a, he has a season of being a super powerful dude, a super powerful ruler. Is he talking about his army anywhere in this psalm? There's, it's nowhere. What is this psalm about? Well, what does he say? I'm just going to hit some things as you're looking at the text. Verse 1, contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Lord, say that to me. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord. O Lord, who is like you? You, do, you deliver the poor. How long, O Lord, will you look? Rescue me. You have seen, O Lord, you've seen. Be not silent, O Lord, be not far from me. Awake, arouse yourself, vindicate me. Who, O Lord, my God? In the face of deep pain and deep hurt and seeing his weakness, David runs honestly to the Lord as his refuge. This is where he goes when he needs the refuge. What does this mean for us? Well, when we face the hurt or we see others facing the hurt and the injustice, Kind of simple. Turn to him. This is the invitation. Turn to him. Run to him. Cry to him. Make your complaint to him. Tell him what you are experiencing. Tell him the injustice that you feel and what you see and weep in front of him and weep with him. Get angry. Share it with him. This is what makes, honestly, me nervous. And I've talked about this a few times with the Psalms. The Psalms make me super uncomfortable because often I look at my complaint and the complaint of others and I question, come on, is that really legitimate, <laughs> right? I mean, this is me, this is, this is me. It makes me super uncomfortable. And maybe there's some wisdom to that, right? In light of what we're talking about, about be, being discerning, you know, evaluating, but maybe sometimes I way over-evaluate because I'm too proud to admit where I am hurt and I'm weak. Like, I, sh I shouldn't feel hurt. Like that person hurt me, I felt attacked. And what do, I, what do I do? Being a little sissy. Maybe that's something I need to bring to God or maybe I'm too judgmental toward those that are hurt and who are complaining. What's the answer? In the need, if you feel it, if you see it, we have a place to voice a complaint. You have a place. When we don't think anybody else hears, maybe because nobody else hears you. That is a possibility. He hears. When we don't think anybody else cares, which is probably not the case, right? But even if it were the case, he cares. He allows us to vomit all over him and let him sort out the legitimacy. He lets us do that. God hears, he accepts, he allows, even invites our complaint. He allows us to complain. There's so many places we are to guard our tongue. We talked a fair amount about that last week with Psalm 34, if you remember it. If not, just go back and read Psalm 34. When speaking to each other and speaking about others is, is dangerous. Gossip and slander and, and certain kinds of complaining can be so destructive to community, right? We know that that's true. And yet, before him, we can be naked, nakedly honest, unguarded, unfiltered, and raw. So we get to honestly tell him what we feel, what we see. We get to tell him what we want. What if it's something bad? He's God. Don't worry about it. Let him sort it out. David says things that concern and they bother me on the one hand, but the other hand, man, that's freeing. I, wanna, I think I want to grow to be more like that. 
I think I do. I'm not, I'm not completely convinced I do because it still freaks me out. But I think there's great freedom in being able to live this way. Because what does he say? He says, stop the, stop the oppressors. Okay, I can go with that. I, I like that part of it. But he doesn't end there. He says, turn, he says, turn them away and turn their way on them. Turn them, turn them away. Turn their harm back on themselves. As long as people are seeking to kill and devise evil, um, God, stop them. Stop, stop it. Make it stop. Make it stop. Plead for him. Plead before him. And then he says, turn their way on him in verses 7 through 8. Let the net that they hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his own destruction. This is, this is scary, brutal honesty. But even worse, I mean, it feels almost blasphemous what he says in addition to this. Verse 17, how long, O oh Lord, are you going to look on? Okay, what is, the, what is the implication? How long are you going to just sit back and do nothing, God? You're not doing anything. Rescue, come on, I'm about to be eaten alive. Verse 22, awake, arouse yourself. Oh God, are you taking a nap? Uh, that's okay. All right. For, for my vindication, like arouse yourself from my vindication. Vindicate me. Oh God, vindicate me. Don't you care? This is David's plea. It, it reminds me of the disciples on the boat. So Jesus is tired and he takes a nap and the storm comes. They're about to die. And one of the accounts in Mark, Mark chapter 4, says they, they woke him and they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're about to perish? We're perishing. Don't you care? Maybe this is a place that I need to grow. Maybe we need space for this, for people to bring this to him, to lodge our complaints and let him sort it out. Stop being so judgmental, Joey. Give them space to sort it out. Give them space to lay it out and let God sort it out. We grow healthy in hurt. Because what happens if you hold it in? Uh-uh. No, 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 no. That'll kill you. We grow healthy in hurt when we honestly run to him. All right, but why? Why run when we are hurt or scared? We have to create protection or we have to go someplace that has protection already created for us. Why, why run honestly to the Lord for shelter? Like, why him? Well, to start with, where else are you going to go? Like, well, if you got another option, you know, John, um, in the book of John, John chapter 6, Jesus has just told people that he, they need to eat his body and drink his blood. And people are like, mm, mm, weird thank you, we're going to like go elsewhere. And Jesus turns to his disciples and goes, hey, you guys going to leave too? And they say, like my paraphrasing, if there was someplace else, we would. <laughs> but where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Man. But even more, why run to this Lord? Why run to the concept of this particular God? Maybe we question what what, what good does it do? Maybe we question, can he handle it? Does he have power to do anything? You, you may say, look, I've called out and the hurt keeps coming. Heard that and stopped. 
Some of us may even question, look, I don't even know if he exists. I'm not gonna call out to him if he exists. But I think even more, the question is, does he care? Like, does he actually care? This is, this is the scary part because in our questioning, in our discerning, in our running to him, in our pleading to him, what if we just meet silence? What if that's the answer? This is where I think, not that I'm any kind of philosopher, but I'll lean into Voltaire, the, the old French philosopher. He said, if God did not exist, it'd be necessary to invent him. The, the idea is, if there weren't a God, we'd have to make him up just to survive. And I know that can be, actually be a great argument uh, if you hold an atheistic worldview. It actually can be a good argument, but it can equally be evidence that at our deepest, most honest moment, we know we need something greater, more powerful, that sees and cares who is good, who is better, who's the opposite of the bad and the evil that we face. We need someone like that to whom we could run. That can also be evidence that we were it's not that you have just that you have a need, it's that you were made with that need because there is one who is made to satisfy the need. That's also an option. David in Psalm 35 and plenty of other places gives space for these kind of questionings. Lord, are you good? Do you have power? If you're questioning that, take it to him. This is the invitation. And I know this is a scary proposition because I don't know fully what you may get on the other side, but this is the invitation. You can take it to him. He seems to be questioning, David does, these things himself. But at, the, at another level, he's calling to the Lord. Like he's actually calling out to the one that we call, he calls Yahweh. There is an undercurrent, a deeper reality that drives him to, to believe that the Lord is the only place to go because maybe he really is good, maybe he really is reliable. And that is actually the character that's described in the Old Testament of who God is. Like in a little bitty moment in time, you may be wondering, but you get to read the whole story and the whole story unfolds a God who actually is powerful and who actually does care. Even if I can't see it in my particular moment, you get a longer story and it's revealed to us that this is who he is, but that is not the end of the portrait. It doesn't end there with just the Old Testament narrative of saying that God actually is powerful and he actually does care because the image crystallizes and it grows exponentially and it focuses when we get to Jesus. In rightly seeing and discerning the bad, God did not run from it. He didn't hide from it, nor did he just wipe it away and all of us with it, right? He could have done that. He's all powerful. He could just get rid of it. It's nasty. He doesn't do that. Instead, in Jesus, he ran to it, which means he ran to us, a hurt people who hurt people. He ran to it. He jumped into the middle of it, and he did what? Did, did he... Did he bring the sword, the machine gun? Did he, no, he comforted, he healed, he restored the powerless, those who were in pain, those who were sick. That, that's, that's God in the flesh. That's what he does when he comes near to us. But he also called out the, the, the hurt causers. He, he drew near to those that are hurting 
and he opposed those who hurt, caused the hurting. Why? Because he's what we learn is the Lord's anointed. What does that mean? He's the Lord's protector who comes near. He's, he's the protection. He is the long-awaited answer to David's prayer, <laughs> meaning he is powerful enough to step into the hurt, and he is good enough to care about your hurt. And I know me saying, some guy standing on a t- stage telling you this doesn't make it a reality for you. I know that, but what if it is a reality? He wants to be a refuge for the sick and the weak and the needy, even the humbled, repentant, oppressors. You find yourself on the oppressor side, well, he wants to actually be a refuge for you because your end is not good. It's coming back on you. He wants you free from that. And if you're experiencing it, he wants to be the refuge. He offers himself. He came to be what David cried for, our salvation in this huge sense, some kind of rescue in the harm and ultimate rescue out of the ultimate harm. He comes to be that and to do that. And the way he became this kind of shelter, the way he could offer real shelter was by suffering the hurt. Even the pain that we caused when we turned against him. And as he hurt, he used all of his great and mighty power to do nothing, to take it. That's power. And then out of the pain of his death, he rose, he returned to offer shelter and protection and healing and wholeness to all who desperately, honestly run to him. When we're finding our shelter in him, when he is our shelter, and we keep returning to him, right? Because this is a one-time deal. This is an ongoing thing. We keep returning to him. It changes us. It changes everything. E- even when we keep facing our per- the hurt that the world and the flesh and the devil and the darkness throw at us, as painful as it is, if we face it while running and resting in his protection, we actually grow in the harm. The harm will destroy you or it will make you more complete, depending on where you find your shelter. And in that kind of health, now we can go back and engage the world. We can engage the culture with all of its hurt, with all of its pain differently. We can be different. Working to see the healthy life of Jesus, like this is the healthy life of, life of Jesus. We can see the healthy life of, of Jesus, his kingdom spread on earth as in heaven. Father, as we think about this and continue to process this, I know, Lord, this is so much. Have mercy. (laughs) Have mercy on us. Help us to see the pain and the hurt, to be honest, to find that you are a refuge, a place that we we can lodge our complaints. We can weep. We can cry. We can scream and yell. We can curse before you. And you absorb it literally, Lord Jesus. You absorbed our curse our cursing, our piercing, and our hatred. And you said, Father, forgive them. And you return to us life and shelter. May we find life and shelter. And you, help us run to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I know.